Hey, this is Dale Calvert. Welcome to session three of the Big Dream and Charge podcast series. Listen, guys, if you've not heard part one and two of this series, do yourself a favor and listen to those sessions first, uh, or you're going to receive very little value and be totally lost, honestly, in this session. And I'm really not joking. I'm not joking at all. Get out of here if you've not heard part one and two. Your time's the most valuable asset that you have, and I respect your time, and I don't want to waste it. So leave. I'm not kidding. Log out. Go to the first session. Okay, let's do this. Roll the bumper music. Welcome to the MLMSuccess.com podcast, the show designed to return the network marketing industry to its roots of personal growth, leadership development, and wisdom of the ages success principles. We share with you real success stories from real people that we hope will inspire and encourage you personally and help you progress forward in your business and your life. We believe if you build people, people will build the business. Now here is your host who has been called the number one mind in network marketing, the MLM Profit, Network Marketing Virtual Mentor, and a host of other names that we will not mention because this is a family show. Frankly, he's just a small-town guy that figured out that the real product in network marketing is people. Dale Calvert. Hey, this is Dale Calvert. Welcome. I am assuming that if you're listening to my voice right now, then you've already heard session one and two of this series we're just calling Dream Big and Charge. Uh, I want to apologize in advance if you're hearing drilling in the background. I actually have the guy here that is installing our uh, aftermarket antenna to our I Have Global Hotspot H&T mining box. So he's up on a ladder on the other side of the house. But uh, you probably will hear some of his drilling from time to time. But I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome. Excited to end this session up, hopefully this session uh, I I hope that at this point we've established that something can be said for naivety and a state of mind that's been described over the years as ignorance on fire. Unfortunately, uh, those only happen once in an entrepreneur's career. But when you com- combine this mentality with a five-star opportunity where the market is receptive and curious about your product or service – uh, it is the fastest path to success. That is the fastest path to success. The stories that prove this concept, concept over and over are really endless. Once you understand the concept exists, I, I'll be honest with you. I never really wrapped my mind around this at the level that I have wrapped my mind around it at this point in time. And again, it's because of my personal need to break out of being a mature entrepreneur and break into being a jet fuel entrepreneur. So let's just start out and let's examine some other stories to get started in this session. And let's examine the path of the first real rodeo where the stars lined up for billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban. Uh Cuban, you know, grew up in a working class home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, his dad was an automobile poster. Uh, 
he described his mom in an interview as someone with a with a different job, a different career go every single week. So she was always trying to find something different all the time. Uh, he was an entrepreneur, had entrepreneurial DNA from childhood. He, he got into his first business when he was 12. He actually sold garbage bags uh, door to door. And he did that to pay for what he wanted, which was an expensive pair of basketball shoes. And some of you have heard me speak to the fact that when I really look back on my path, I think one of the reasons that I was selling seeds, selling blackberries, raking leaves, raking up, uh, uh, shoveling snow in the wintertime, selling bottles, selling walnuts, creating income every way I possibly could. You know, I can remember, you know, back in before the first grade selling night crawlers to the fishermen in my community. I mean, they knew the little Calvert boy up on Mulberry Street had good good night crawlers if you wanted to go fishing and and I had all my friends and relatives and my you know saving cottage cheese containers and I was filling them with dirt and putting the worms in there and I you know I was putting 13 or 14 and selling them for a dozen before I knew what a baker's dozen was and and that was before my first grade so I mean I've done it my whole life and looking back I think a big reason was I was into a lot of stuff and I love baseball cards and I love collecting and 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 I needed money but to fund my interest and my curiosity and I got an allowance every week for doing my chores and the last thing I wanted to do was to ask my parents for money and and I think that's what really spurred a lot of my entrepreneurial endeavors I think the same can be said for Mark Cuban I know the same can be said for Gary B and there's a lot of other entrepreneurs if you closely listen to their story uh, that need as a kid, young, t- to satisfy curiosity or their collectibles, in my case, baseball cards or whatever, really spurred their entrepreneur patterns in their life. So anyway, Cuban wanted to get these some kind of special, probably, I don't know, but some kind of special basketball shoes. Uh, so that's why he started selling garbage bags from door to door to door and then he got into collecting he was he was big at a young age into selling stamps and coins and would go to stamp and coin shows and then at age 16 he took advantage of a pittsburgh post gazette uh strike and started uh getting newspapers from cleveland to pittsburgh uh, I guess he would drive over to Cleveland, pick them up, and bring them to, to Pittsburgh. And instead of attending high school for his senior year, he wrote he enrolled full time as a student at the University of Picks of Pittsburgh. Uh, and you know, went graduated there. And during uh, the col- during college, he did a lot of various business ventures. Uh, he taught disco lessons. Uh, he said he ran a chain letter, uh, whatever that meant. And when he got out of college and he graduated, he went to work for a bank. Uh, he sold software. Uh, he, he eventually moved to Dallas where 
he when he moved to Dallas, he worked as a bartender, uh, some some bar called Greenville Avenue Bar over in Dallas. Then he took work as a salesperson uh, for a company called Your Business Software, and that was kind of his start. Uh, Mark Cuban, who was a software salesman, kind of got his feet on the ground a little bit. Uh, working for somebody else didn't last very long for Cuban. Uh, he started working, started his own company called Micro Solutions with the help from a customer. Uh, so Micro Solutions was initially a systems integrator and software reseller. And the company was early adopters and early proponents. He saw the trends before they got here, as he still does. He still does. If you listen to him on Shark Tank, he's by far the sharpest, in my opinion. But anyway, the company was proponent for uh, carbon copy. You know, remember the, the original carbon copy machines? And they were first into the Lotus Notes and CompuServe. Uh, and he supported. He sold to some of uh, Ross Perot's companies there in Dallas, and the company did quite well, and and it grew to more than thirty million dollars in revenue. And in nineteen ninety, he sold Micro Solutions to CompuServe, and and then a uh, that was a subsidiary of H and R Block at the time. And he sold the company for about $6 million, and he made approximately $2 million after taxes uh, on the deal. And again, that was in 1990. So he didn't have to do a lot for a while. And then in 1995, uh, Cuban and and a guy that he went to school with at Indiana University, uh, Todd, Todd Wagner, they founded a company called AudioNet. And they took their interest in Indiana Hoosier basketball, which is great in the state of Indiana. Y'all have heard me talk about it. If you've never seen Hoosiers, the movie, you need to see it. It's a ph- phenomenal movie. I cannot stand Indiana because they're a border state of Kentucky. And their basketball, college basketball, even with Bobby Knight, was never even close to that of the University of Kentucky, which we all know. But anyway their love for Indiana basketball, and they ended up setting up a single server and then an ISDN line. And this audio net, they changed the name of the company to broadcast.com. And basically what they were doing was taking the radio broadcast from an Indiana basketball game, which is very regional. And Indiana obviously has people all over the world that are fans, people in the armed forces that are fans, and they could not listen to the game because they weren't within distance of the radio tower. Some of you know how that is. I can remember the time when I was living in Dallas and it's like, man, it was it was it was a pain, you know, to be able to get the Kentucky game sometimes. So I get that as a fan. Some of you understand. So they ended up starting a company called broadcast.com and by 1999, using this technology, it had grown to over 330 employees and was doing about $13.5 million in revenue. Uh, and then in 1999, the second quarter, uh, broadcast.com 
launched the very first live stream of a Victoria's Secrets fashion show. And that year, so they were now live streaming video as well. And that year, the dot-com, you know, that's when the middle of the dot-com boom and broadcast.com was acquired by Yahoo for $5.7 billion in Yahoo stock. And the rest is history, as they say. As many of you know, Mark ended up buying the – he tried to buy the Chicago Cubs, but the baseball prune – the prune owners, the uppity owners, the third and fourth generations of wealth owners didn't like such a flamboyant entrepreneur, didn't think he would be a good mix into into the baseball world, so they declined his offer to buy the Cubs. He ended up buying the Dallas Mavericks, which were going nowhere and absolutely turned that franchise around, uh, made it a thing in Dallas, and built it up, built that franchise up. And, of course, he's on Shark Tank and is involved in multiple different Shark Tank deals. I think I mentioned earlier, I remember when he bought I Will Draw a Cat for You for $25,000 on one of the episodes. But if you listen to the guy, he's so aware of trends and technology and, and where the future's going. I mean, again, he was he was into the old copy machines before anybody knew what a copy machine was, and he's always been ahead of the trend. What I find extremely interesting is Mark Cuban recently said, and the article is at cmgcrypto.com, but Mark Cuban recently said that today, 80% of his investments outside of Shark Tank are in the cryptocurrency space. Did you hear what I just said? 80%. Success leaves clues, ladies and gentlemen. It leaves clues. If you want to check out that article again, it's at cmgcrypto.com. So Mark Cuban, naive, visionary, whatever you want to call him, he knocked it out of the park with broadcast.com. He didn't build a company and exit with a million-dollar exit. He exit with a five-plus-billion-dollar Exit, and that has given him the resources to invest in other businesses and being a angel investor, etc., in a lot of other business. He he's a verified whale. At one time, I remember last year reading where he was the number one holder of a Dow program. We a Dow uh, protocol, crypto protocol. We've mentioned already in this. Sets this series, which was called Olympus Dow. Uh, but anyway, um, that's Mark Cuban. Now, Barbara Corcoran is a phenomenal story. She's also a Shark Tank Sharkette. And she said, due to, dile- due to dyslexia, Corcoran struggled throughout her schooling. I found it really interesting that Damon John is a spokesperson for a nonprofit dyslexia organization. He has dyslexia as well. Uh, I've mentioned uh, on this podcast in the past, I also have dyslexia. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what that means anything, but anyway, she attended a local Catholic elementary school and 
uh, she went to also a, uh, a Catholic high school and I think it was Inglewood, New Jersey. Uh, and she flunked several courses her freshman year and she transferred to, uh, another high school and she ended up graduating with as a D student out of high school. And then in college, she got a little bit more serious. She went to St. Thomas Aquinas College, and she got a degree in education. And that was in 1971. And after she graduated college, she she decided she was going to be a school teacher. And she taught school for a year, but really figured out, hey, this is not the way I want to spend the rest of my life. And I so respect her for that. Because what are most people going to do? Most people are too afraid to pivot. They're going to say, I went to school for four years. This is what I got my education for. It's not what I, I planned on, but this is my this is my path in life. She didn't say that. And she said by the time she was 23, she had worked 20, 20 different jobs by the time she was 23. And one of the side jobs she had was renting apartments in New York City uh, while she was while she was a waitress, and so she would she was the rental agent for for a real estate investor, rent, helping them rent out their apartments. She would show the apartments or whatever, and then her boyfriend convinced her to get a real estate license and just go to work for a real estate company, and she really wanted to be her own boss. So in 1973. She was actually working as a receptionist in a real estate company in New York, and she got a real estate license, and then she co-founded Cochran Seminan Realty with her boyfriend, who had learned, loaned her $1,000. And then she ended up seven years later splitting for her boyfriend after he told her he was going to marry her secretary. <laughs> and then she formed her own firm, the Corcoran Group. Life happens, guys. Run when you can run. There's going to be drama. There's going to be setbacks. It's part of being, it's part of life. But you, if you learn to run when you can run, then run when you can run. And I'm sure that was a lot of drama for her. Then in the mid-70s, she also began publishing the Corcoran Report. when It was a new le- newsletter that just covered real estate data and trends in New York. So she found her niche, and she found her niche at a time when New York real estate was booming. Uh, you know, she went to school for a teacher, worked 20 different jobs, tried 20 all different things, but she eventually found the right opportunity at the right time. The stars had lined up for Bar- Barbara Corcoran. And then in 2001, she ended up selling her business, her real estate business, for $66 million. $66 million. So she she bummed around a lot of different things, tried a lot of different things, until she found her entrepreneurial niche. And she was in the right place at the right time in New York real estate, recognized it, and poured it on. And then a few years down the late down the road, uh, exited for a sixty-six million dollar payoff. Uh, Barbara Corcoran was a jet fuel entrepreneur. She worked a lot of 
odd jobs until she found her entrepreneurial niche. She built it out, sold it, and today she's a, a, a certified whale. She's not an entrepreneur. She's a whale. And, you know, she's a on Shark Tank and has invested in multiple different businesses through Shark Tank. Uh, one of my favorite people that I love and I would love to get all my kids and grandkids listening to, and I would if he didn't cuss like a sailor, and Don won't even listen to him when we're in the, the car, but I listen to him. Uh, the guy's a genius, very unique, and that's Gary V. Uh, you know, he was, he migrated with his family from Russia when he was three years old. And you talk about a kid with entrepreneurial DNA, he had it. He moved from, you from Russia to the USA, could speak no English. Uh, his dad worked as a stock boy in a liquor store. And over time, saved every penny, and he eventually bought the store. And Gary kind of reminds me of myself. I mean, he did everything to make money as a kid. Rake leaves, sold anything and everything, lemonade stands. He was also real heavy into baseball cards, doing baseball card shows, uh, and, you know, selling everything he could find to sell. And and I'm sure it was because he did, you know, he was from a Russian immigrant family that was saving every penny to be able to buy a business someday. Then when he was 14, he went to work in his dad's liquor store. And this was a defining moment, moment because he, he discovered that people collected wine, much like kids of the time, at that time collected baseball cards that, Hey, there's a real market here. And he talked about he would take the Wine Spectator magazine to school and he would put it inside his uh, his his study books, his class books. And he said, why, why the teacher's up there, uh, you know, talking about Saturn, he said, I'm learning about P- Pinot Grigio <laughs> or whatever. And he became, I mean, just overly self-educated into wine and wine collecting and that whole market because it intrigued him because, again, he had a background uh, with baseball cards. So he went to some small city college in Boston. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, something nobody's ever heard of. And he graduated in 1988, but he said every weekend, you know, he started working in his dad's liquor store when he was 14, bagging ice in the basement, and they would never let him up on the floor because, you know, he he wasn't allowed to even be in the place when he was 14. But that's where he got into all the wine and started studying wine and learning about wine. And after he graduated college in 1998, he took over his father's liquor store and changed the name immediately to Shoppers from Shoppers Discount Liquors. He renamed the store to the Wine Library, and he launched one of the very first online wine sales websites. Uh, and then when YouTube came out, the day he saw it, he told one of his employees, I want you to go to Best Buy or wherever and buy a video camera and do whatever we need to do so we can do a show on 
YouTube, and he's created a show called Wine Library TV. And in his mind, he was going to do home shopping network on the internet for his wine company. And he said, they said, ready, action. And he said, he didn't know what he was going to say. He just started talking. And as, as he started through his, his pitch, he realized, hey, this is going to go down in history. And the last thing I want to do is tell somebody to buy this $15 bottle of crappy wine just because I bought too much of it. Uh, he said, so when he was getting ready to pitch the wine in the middle of the whole thing, he, he just spewed it all out and said, if you buy this, you're an idiot. It tastes like dog crap or whatever. And he probably didn't use the word crap. And, and that started this YouTube career where he would get on and truthfully talk about wine. And he had the wine snobs all up in arms. <laughs> Who's this kid? Who does he think he is? How did he learn so much about wine? And so on and so forth. And it started this whole thing. And uh, he said somebody came in and they asked for a particular uh, brand of wine that he had read about in Wine Speculator. And they didn't have it. They didn't stock it. And he said, no, I don't have it, but I can get it for you. And he had him, had them write down the email address. And he said, the guy didn't even know what an email address was. And he went online and helped him set up a, an email address at AOL, uh, back in the day. And he was one of the first email marketers at, in the very beginning. And I, some of us remember those days when 99% with 99% open rates where people would log in every day just hoping to hear, you've got mail. Some of you are as old as I am. Don't act like you're not. You remember those days. So he was helping people set up AOL accounts so he could send them one promotional newsletters. Built a huge, huge email list and started getting into technology to build the wine business. And he grew that business from $3 million to 60 million in sales a year. And then, uh, that was again, 2006 when he started it. So he went from zero to 60 million in five years. And I think about that, you know, I think about, I've never met this dude, but it, it's kind of scary because I remember, you know, being about his age when we started New Image International, we grew it from zero to a hundred million in five years. And, you know, his whole interest in baseball cards and mine is just a lot of similarities, except, you know, he, he cusses like a sailor and, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, uh, when I get mad, I, I say cuss. If I feel like cussing, I just say cuss. <laughs> and I don't do that very often, thankfully. But anyway, um, Other than so, so he the guy. So in 2011, he built this business. His dad and him had some conflict. He actually needed to take it over while his dad was, I think, building a house or something. And he grew it so much and blew it so out of proportion. He became this young wine phenon, and there created some competition slash jealousy from reading behind between the lines. I mean, they have a phenomenal relationship today, but that's just from reading, reading, looking behind the curtain a little bit. And he ended up, him and his brother started a ad agency called Vayner Media. 
in a friend's uh, spare uh, board room, uh, a conference room, where there's a conference room, a conference table. That's where they met, and they started this digital marketing agency called VaynerMedia. Uh, so this was in around 2011, and they actually started this initially uh, AJ, his brother, was the head of it, and Gary was kind of a silent partner. It actually started in 2009, and then 2011, Gary went full force with it. And today the company, you know, they provide social media strategy services to Fortune 500 companies in 2015. So it's like six years after Gary came on board with AJ, it was named uh, one of ad agencies, A-list agencies. Today they have 600 employees, and they gross $100 million in revenue. Uh, they also have a sports team that they started, uh, our sports agent business, sports agent business. They also own a e-sports team. Uh He's he's in everything. He's in everything. Uh, he founded a restaurant reservation app called Resi, and that was acquired eventually by American Express in 2019. He also co-founded a winery, Empathy Wines, a winery called Empathy Wines, which was acquired by Constellation Brands in 2020. Uh, he's also the... Uh, his most recent project, I'll tell you about it in a second. But, uh, you know, I remember back in the day hearing the only reason to build a business is to sell it. And I never got that. And, you know, VaynerMedia is kind of his bread and, buddy, bread and butter. He's also started his own uh, shoe brand through, uh, I've got two pair and don't even know what they are, Swiss. I don't even I don't even know. American Swiss, that's not it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, the guy's in everything. So he's in businesses and out of businesses and selling businesses. And his latest passion project, and it really is a passion project, is called Be Friends, and it's NFTs, which, as you guys know, NFTs are a huge part of the whole crypto world niche. Now, I've talked about them. I don't understand them. I don't know that I will. At this point, I own three Node Whale NFTs, and I have a mansion in the neighborhood metaverse, It's which is also an NFT. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. <laughs> but here's what I would tell you. Uh, he launched his first NFT project, and these are literally, he's not an artist, just cartoon-type characters that he's scratched out on a drawing pad. He's got a whole business model that he wants to build around it with children's books, teaching empathy and respect to your elders and a lot of really good life lesson stuff, uh, you know, that... Uh, so he's got a whole business plan around. I haven't listened to any of them because it's just it's my my formal education. My education time has been elsewhere. 
I've just seen bits and pieces of it. But I do know that after he's getting ready to do his second launch of his NFT project, but his first launch, he made $91 million. Uh, his goal is to buy the New York Jets. He said when he came to America, he couldn't speak English. All the kids in his neighborhood were big Jets fans, so he decided he had to be a Jets fan. They all had their Jet jerseys. Uh, they couldn't afford to buy the Jet jersey. He wanted a Jet jersey so bad, he was trying to save enough money to buy a Jet jersey, and his mom knitted one for him. And if you ever see any of his videos in his office, the knitted jersey that his mom made for him hangs in his office. And he said, I found out, discovered real early and realized real early in my life that I was never going to be able to play for the Jets because I was never going to be big enough to be a professional football player. So I decided early, I'm just going to buy the team. And that's been his mission, his entire entrepreneurial career. From the day he was selling baseball cards in malls at at baseball card shows, buy the Jets, buy the Jets. And I've heard him say a thousand times, the goal is not really to buy the Jets. The goal is to pursue buying the Jets, to have that big of a dream that you're going after. Immigrant kid went to a flunky college in, in, in Massachusetts, uh, First in on a lot of technology, e-commerce, email lists, uh, multiple businesses. And his ultimate goal is to buy the Jets. But he says, really, it's the pursuit of buying the Jets. He started this journey with the dream big enough to sustain him and keep him moving forward. The dream was big enough to keep him moving forward. He still hasn't done it, but I'll tell you what, I have no doubt he will. I have no doubt. And myself and a lot of other people who have really, you know, read Crush It and read uh, Jab, 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 Right Hook and, and read all of his books uh, will celebrate the day that he does. We will celebrate the day that that guy buys the New York Jets and Anybody that knows Gary V knows that that will happen. But here's the key point right here. His goal was big enough to sustain him throughout his entrepreneurial career. And I've heard him say, you know, I'll probably be 60 or 70, maybe 80 years old before I buy the Jets, before it's a possibility, because it's going to take billions of dollars to buy that sports team. Billions. But that's the goal, and that's the goal he's always had. Success is living your life working towards worthy goals. Once you reach those goals, you're no longer a success. And he was intuitive enough or smart enough or whatever, or maybe naive enough as a kid to decide I'm never going to play for the Jets, so i got to figure out how I can own them. Man, there's so much wisdom in that. There's so much insight in that mindset. Uh, he talks about he hated school because he had trouble reading. He said, I still can't read. Uh, is that dyslexia as well? And we hit a trend here that if you have dyslexia, you then you can be a whale entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't know. But he's made that statement many times. Uh, 
and he lives every day hustling. And he has one goal in his mind, by the New York Jets. By the New York Jets. Uh, Gary V is somebody that started his entrepreneurial career taking care of his family first. Once he had his dad set up, then he started his own entrepreneurial journey. He was 30 when he started Vayner Media. That was probably, I don't know, he's probably 45 now, maybe. And he's been involved in and out of multiple investments and businesses, and he's been an angel investor. He had the opportunity to be one of the original investors in Uber, which would have been a billion-dollar payoff for him, and he passed on it twice. Uh, so he hasn't always made the right decisions, but he's made a lot of them and he keeps moving forward. Why does he get up and grind and move forward every single day when he obviously doesn't need to anymore? It's because he has a huge audacious goal that he's been working for his entire adult life. And he was naive enough as a kid, you know, playing football in the jets of, in the streets of, uh, New Jersey to believe that one day he could do it. And he's just hung on to that. And I could give you example after example. We could talk about Zig Ziglar, who became a whale in the world of sales and his path. Many of you know that. We could talk about Jim Rohn, Idaho farm boy, 25 years old. The real world had slapped him in the face working at Sears, selling appliances. Some guy named Earl Schoff walks in the store to buy an appliance, recruits him into a network marketing company, and the rest is history. What would happen if Mr. Schoff hadn't walked in the store? We could talk about Bob Chris. Bob Chris was a pastor, burnout with the drama of being a pastor and the responsibility got involved in Amway uh, in the 70s during the big run, was part of Dexter Yeager's organization, and rode that wave, man. Rode that wave right to the top. And then he ended up leaving, and I've heard him say, you know, leaving Amway was the worst mistake of his life uh, to leave that culture, and he never was able to catch another wave for many different reasons. Bob past this year as many of you probably know then i think about my old friend glenn turner uh glenn turner got out of the army joined a direct sales company joined another one uh was a top salesperson in both companies saved up enough money decided he wanted to join he wanted to create his own company uh right out of right out of right out of the the, the armed forces he was in the navy i believe and Went, got involved in direct sales network marketing. Boom, boom, boom. Started his own company called Coscot Cosmetics. Then he started another one called Dare to Be Great. Made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And this was in the fifties, early sixties. Had his own airline. Uh, got too big too quick. The government came after him. And he's someone I, I would hope all people would really study. Hair lip, he couldn't speak, he stuttered when he talked, but he was the most positive, big thinking person I have ever been around in my life. And he went straight 
he started naive, didn't know it couldn't be done. He couldn't speak. He went after people. Uh, again, some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time came up through Dare to Be Great and Coscott. A lot of people, a lot of the, the infomercial, early infomercial people were originally trained through Coscott and Dare to Be Great, Glenn Turner. I've said it on this podcast is when, when I was speaking heavily all around the country, uh, back in the NII days when we were doing, I was doing three to four events a week, uh, you know, flying around everywhere in a, in a private plane and landing and doing the meeting and being home that night, sleeping in my own bed and, you know, doing long hauls to, uh, the West Coast, uh, over the weekends and, and during that time, I met thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and everyone was talking about the different influences the different people have had on their life. And there was no name that came up more than Glenn Turner. I had the opportunity later on to to become friends with him, talk to him on the phone. The day he passed was one; it was a very sad day for many of us that knew him. And he was one of a kind, man. He was one of a kind, one of a kind. He was. The unstoppable, the un, and that's such a great term. The unstoppable entrepreneur, uh, over on the Dale Calvert, uh, YouTube channel. I did a, a whole session about him on the, the death of his, or the anniversary of his death. And if you don't know Glenn Turner, he's somebody you should get to know. Uh, my, my network marketing mentor was Jim Burke. Jim Burke was a research scientist. You know, spent all his time every day looking down through a microscope. And when he saw network marketing and passive income and the duplication factor, it's like he saw it. He saw it, immediately saw it. He said, why am I going to continue to spend all my time in this laboratory looking down microphones, microscopes every day, every day? Why why do I want to do that when I can go out here and start a side business and create passive income. And he, he got sold out on the concept. Uh, he ended up qualifying for supervisor really quick. He got a Shackley bonus car, which is a Cadillac. And he said he made a very difficult decision. He left all the security of the corporate laboratory. He left too early, but in 1973, he said, you know what? I'm a supervisor. I'm going to become a national marketing director. I'm going to the top of this company. And he said, and, and on an audio, he said, in 1973, I climbed in that Cadillac. I started traveling all over the country, meeting with all my teams, all the people that sponsored, doing meetings all over the United States. In 1973, I climbed in that Cadillac. In 1975, he said that Cadillac, I ran the the wheels off of it. It was missing hubcaps and scratched and dented up and messed up. I, I ran that car to death, he said. But in 1975, I climbed out of it, and I was a master coordinator in Shackley, and I was the third largest money earner in the company. And, you know, that was in the 70s when he joined, and... You're talking about a company that had been around since the 50s who had million-dollar earners in that company. Uh, he made the decision, and again, he went from naive research scientist to jet fuel entrepreneur on in his first rodeo, in his first rodeo. 
his first entrepreneurial rodeo. He took the traditional path, go to school, get a good education, go to work for a good company when he was first exposed to the entrepreneurial world. And he hit Shackley when Shackley was in its biggest growth curve in the 70s. And he rode that wave. You know, I think about that. Um, in Shackley, I remember my I became a, a supervisor in 90 days and got my first bonus car. And it was about that time they introduced a program called the Pot of Gold program. And you had one year to go from supervisor to key coordinator, which was almost the top of that company. And guys, I mean, if you built a key coordinator, you built a phenomenal business. Uh, 98% of the people that ever joined the Shackley Corporation never became a supervisor back then. So becoming a supervisor was something. Becoming a senior supervisor was phenomenal. Becoming a coordinator just didn't happen much. Becoming a key coordinator rarely happened, and there was only like 48 master coordinators in the whole company when I was there. And again, the company had been around over 30 years at the time. But I remember they announced that promotion, and I, and, I, and that's when I, you know, and I was naive enough to think, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to go for it. And I got a little pot of gold, a pot and put gold gold around it. So what they were doing is they were going to pay you off and go bullion a quarter million dollars and literally and go bullion if you hit key coordinator. And they made this promotion and I decided, hey, I'm going to go for it. And and I worked my butt off and uh during that time for that pot of gold promotion. And I didn't make it. But you know what? Nobody made it in the whole company. It was just far too difficult. But I did, I didn't become a, co- a key coordinator, but I did become a sales coordinator. And at the time I became the youngest sales coordinator in the history of that company. And it was a great experience. Again, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you're still among the stars. So you have to set huge goals and brainwash yourself that you're, that, that it's possible. And you just simply don't allow negative thoughts. And you all heard me talk about the cancel, cancel technique. When a negative thought enters your mind, you don't say, you say cancel, cancel out loud, replace it with a positive. Uh, those of you that have gone through our program in your mind for success program, programinyourmind.com, you've heard me talk about this. You understand this technique. Uh, and if you look at Jesse, you know, Jesse Echo, one year into his journey, he was at 130,000. He had three months to hit his go, and he still believed it was going to happen. Now, he also made some stupid decisions looking back, he said, and they were, which was investing in crypto on margin, which is was basically borrowed funds. But he was doing everything he possibly could to make that a reality, even though you know he had 85% to go with three months left. And... You know, I've looked at a lot of different entrepreneurs. Another one that I had to look at to do this session justice was Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone is a whale. <laughs> and he's got the 10 times book and he, and the 10 times, 
uh, seminar that he does down in South Florida. It's the largest entrepreneurial conference in the world. Uh, but I, I've never paid a lot of attention to Grant Cardone. Uh, Dawn won't let me listen to him. Uh, she says that he makes her skin crawl. And honestly, uh, I kind of get that, but I haven't listened to him enough to really develop a strong opinion one way or the other uh, because she just won't listen to him. And there's other people that I know I'm going to get value from. And I'm not into, you know, I don't want to create a fortune in real estate. Uh, I like to have some real estate holdings, but I don't want to have, you know, I don't want to have at this point in my life, I don't want to have you know, huge real estate holdings. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a great move, honestly. But it's, it's I, I've been down that road. Uh, the thing that I guess probably that I have against Grant Cardone is the same as I, is the thing, same thing that up, that bothers me with Gary V is, that, you know, he just cusses like a sailor. And honestly, he even rubs, you know, he, he Don will not listen to him. But he, he even rubs me the wrong way. And But it's the way I know I rub others the wrong way. Because he speaks his mind. He speaks his truth. He believes what he says. And he doesn't give a flying flip if you understand or not. Get your thumb out of your mouth and, and, and charge on or don't. And he doesn't care. And, and, and I appreciate that type of mentality. I sincerely do. I, I I really do, but I don't feel cursing on stage or anywhere for that matter is ever a good idea. You know, Zig used to teach the people that you that 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 curse a lot. It's just an indication that they they that, that it's it, it's really a bad habit, but it's really an indication of poor self esteem in some area. Cursing inappropriately for effect is a indication of poor self-esteem in some area. And, you know, the sad thing to me at this point is YouTube's full of people that are Gary Vee and Grant Cardone wannabes who curse like a sailor and attempt to teach people how to do that, which they've never done. And that's really kind of the sad thing. It's like this guy's just trying to be Gary B. This guy's just trying to be Grant Cardone or whoever. And and so I, I just think it sends the wrong message. I did a whole podcast about this. Uh, it was in the No Fluff Network Marketing Podcast, Session 84. And it was just entitled Cursing and Foul Language in Business. I'll leave a link. Some of you may want to listen to this. You may have a friend that needs to listen to it. But that's just kind of my feelings on Grant. It's like there's too many other valuable people to listen to, and I'm sure his stuff is good. But I did, uh, just in preparation for this session, I knew I had to cover him. So I did some research, and I watched a training that he did for a Capitalism.com event that was held in Austin, Texas, and to his credit, he, he cussed like a sailor throughout the presentation, but he did apologize after the fact at the end. And honestly, I don't get that. Uh, but I get where this guy's coming from. E- emotionally, I get it. Uh, he can't stand to be around thumbsuckers. And I get it. 
I understand where he's coming from. And I agree with his bulletproof self-talk uh, that he has. But just like Gary V, you know, if he didn't curse so much, I would probably, he would probably have a much broader appeal. And many parents would not have to turn off the podcast whenever their kids was in the car. But anyway, regarding Grant Cardone, you know, if you look at his story, uh, his father, he was one of five kids. His father died when he was 10 years old. And he said just trying to make a living, working as hard as he could work every day, wearing himself out, and then his, had a heart attack. I think he said he was 52 years old. And I, I can't imagine going through that as a kid. Uh, I, I just I can't imagine. Uh, he comes across, Grant does, like a, a Louisiana redneck, and he is, uh, from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, went to McNeese State University there and got an account, a uh, degree in accounting, and then he ended up getting into car sales. And he, his brother, when he was 20, I think his 25-year-old brother also died, it appeared some kind of freak accident or something. Again, that's a hardship, man. That's a drama I can't imagine going through. So he began his career after college working for a sales company. He lived in Houston. Then he decided he wanted to go and move to California, and he lived in a couple of cities in California. And during all this time, he kind of developed a really bad drug habit. Uh, he went to rehab a couple of times. And then he said at age 25, he kind of got a new lease on life uh, that the only thing he could do was really be in sales, and he hated sales, but he needed the money. And he also knew that not having that, uh, not having a job that would keep him focused and busy, uh, would ultimately lead him back to the, the world of drugs. And so he got focused on car sales, became a manager of a large dealership, and became a millionaire within the next five years after he decided to go on this run. And as a car salesman, he was investing in real, he invested in a piece of real estate on the side and he ended up losing money on that deal. And he was fascinated with real estate. He got the courage to try it. He did. He lost money and he was out. He was done. And he talks about your greatness is limited only by the investments you make in yourself. Uh, today, he's the owner of Grant Cardone Capital, Cardone Training Technologies, Cardone TV, Cardone Sales University, which all do millions of dollars in business every year. And some of the just and listen to his his session, a couple of things he said that really spoke to me, and I hope they will you. He said, forget your skills. you got to learn to get jacked up. <laughs> he said, if you want to hang with my crowd. I love that. There's so much to that, especially to for those mature entrepreneurs listening, those skillful entrepreneurs listening. Forget your skills. you got to get jacked up, dude. I love that. you got to get – how do you jack yourself up? And he said the entrepreneur puts his money at risk in order to earn more money. Their goal is not to save the world. 
that hit me like a ton of bricks because I'm thinking, Dale, your focus has always been to save the network marketing community. Since you came out with the scam tape in 2000, where's your focus been, man? Really? It was to save the network marketing community. That's where it's been. He said the entrepreneur puts his money at risk in order to earn more money. There goes not to save the world. That spoke to me. He said, if you don't go fast and dream big, you're dead. If you don't go fast and dream big, you're dead. A body in motion stays in motion. Some of you have heard me talk about the 50 names, 50 no's. Get 50 no's as quick as possible. 50 no's concept. That's, that's, that's wisdom of the ages stuff, guys. If you don't go fast and dream big, you're dead. And then he said, wanting, wanting more is not greed, it's survival. Because all the flat lines are eventually going to go down. You know, we're, we're living in a very disruptive world right now, as we all know. He said something else that I thought was really cool. He said, I write my goals daily. They are my fuel. Daily, he writes his goal. He's, he carries a notepad like a lot of us do. And every day, I mean, I start my day a certain way. Every day he starts his goal by writing his goal. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I need I need to, to start writing down every day. Uh... You know, January 2000, uh, January 2027, I've celebrated $10 million, $10 million cryptocurrency portfolio. On January 1st, 2027, 2027, I celebrated the, my, two, my $10 million cryptocurrency portfolio and I got to write a perfect day around that and I need to and 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 again it's I know it's in my mind but I also know I got to write it down and writing it down daily there that's something that is in, intriguing to me and he said if you're going to be an entrepreneur you got to be completely unreasonable <laughs> completely unreasonable Nobody can expect somebody to do that. You've got to be completely unreasonable. He said he's got people that have worked in his office in, in Florida, you know, three or four years, been great employees. They show up late once, they're fired. Their numbers drop in a month. They don't do the numbers they're expected to do. Doesn't matter how much he likes them, how much he knows their family, they're fired. They're fired. And he said, I hold myself to the same standard. So I'm going to hold other people to the standard I hold myself to, and if they don't like it, they can go work somewhere else. I get that. I get it. I've said many times the biggest challenge in network marketing is we can't fire our team. We can't fire our team. But he lost money on his first real estate deal, and I just found it fascinating he didn't get the courage to buy another piece of real estate for five years. But today, his companies own and control $800 million worth of investment properties around the United States. Grant Cardone. 
rough childhood, rough upbringing, drug addict, car salesman. I'm going to be a real estate tycoon. Don't tell me I'm not. Get out of my way. You blankety blank blank. (laughs) And finally, we got to talk about, we just got to talk about, because this is a little bit different than most of the people that we've talked about. Many of these people had little or no formal education. This guy had tremendous formal education, which, in my opinion, can be even a bigger, bigger concern on reaching your entrepreneurial potential. And, uh, of course, we're talking about Jeff Bezos. Uh, Jeff graduated in 1986 from Princeton University, and he followed into a typical Wall Street computer science job. Uh, kind of lived in normal corporate existence. And at age 30, uh, the real world kind of hit him in the, in the face. And he said, my gosh, is this, is this all there is? And he decided to start to make a pivot, which most people in corporate America never get the guts to make a pivot. He did. So kudos to him. And he started Amazon. Uh, he actually founded it in 1994. And, of course, he was going to sell online used books. And he said he kept adding to his inventory, and it grew very quickly. And so did the popularity of the website. And he did all the shipping and packing of the books and took them to his to the post office himself in the beginning of the business. He He was a one-man operation when he started. But four years after he started, in from 1994 and then in 1998, four years after he started, he made the Forbes 400 list. And up until that point and for years after, he invested 100% of his profits, 100% back into his business. And some of you may have heard, but Amazon, some of you will remember, Amazon was the largest buyer of Google ads in history. And some of you can remember, like I can, back in the day, every time you logged online, there was this little small banner. on. It seemed like every website that you went on, and it just said Amazon. And, you know, I remember seeing it over and over and over and finally clicking and saying, what the heck is this Amazon thing? You see it on every website, and it was you know, their original Amazon used book site. And so he believed in getting the message in the marketplace. And Amazon has become the largest online retail in the world, as most of you know. Today they employ over 800,000 people. And you just think it started in Jeff Bezos' home with him selling secondhand books. Quite a story. His first venture into entrepreneurism or becoming an entrepreneur from corporate America, his first move into it. You know, he hits a, uh, you can't even call it a grand slam. I don't know what this is. This is a World Series winning grand slam. But in 2018, he became the richest man in the world. Obviously, he's had a lot of controversy uh, personally, as an entrepreneur, I respect Amazon, and I cannot stand Amazon. Uh, 
uh, I feel like in many ways they have totally screwed over the, the entrepreneurs that built the company. And again, it is what it is. Business is business, but it is what it is. But he, he today is the richest man in the world, or he was in 2008, when he knocked Bill Gates off that top spot. Actually, I think today it's Elon Musk now. But he had the guts to pivot out of the corporate world and follow his dream. Are you starting to get what I'm trying to communicate? You know, I've been a mature entrepreneur for years, working, speaking in various entrepreneur organizations, most around programming your mind for success. But my bread and butter has been teaching systems and personal development ideas to network marketing organizations. And network marketing has been my bread and butter for years. But let's just be real. You don't find too many mature network marketers today in the network marketing niche. It's mostly filled with entrepreneurs, are ready, fire, aim entrepreneurs, are ready, fire, 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 fire entrepreneurs. You don't find too many mature entrepreneurs in the network marketing niche today. And the vast majority are entrepreneurs. So I, I love doing what I do. There's been a lot of sadness watching, for me, watching the greatest opportunity in the history of the world to help average people with above average desire create financial independence slip into a real state of fear and self-delusion. It's been terrible for me. It, it, it really has to watch this whole social club appear. And for 15 years, I've been doing my thing in a coast mode, do it with my eyes shut, uh, you know, no real passion for it, but I've always left it all out on the stage every time that I have ever spoke for any organization. I'm going to leave it all out on the stage. I'm not going to, I'm giving you all I got. And the truth is most entrepreneurs want fluff instead of wisdom of the ages, take responsibility, truth. They don't want to be told to take responsibility. They want rah-rah fluff. And I get that. So let me try to help you really condense this session and what I'm trying to communicate. If you're not with a five-star network marketing company, there's not a chance in the world of you fulfilling your true upside potential because ultimately this business model is not about you. It's about Joe. It's about Joe. Who's Joe? The average Joe, the average person, the average man or woman with above average desire who's teachable and willing to devote a reasonable five, ten hours a week to building a side gig business that can ultimately lead to a full-time income. That's the average Joe. They're, they're willing to do their part. They're willing to plug in. They're willing to learn. They're willing to do the activities, spend five to ten hours a week in a side gig business that will ultimately create monthly progression and lead to a full-time income. 99% of the people in network marketing don't even know the definition of monthly progression. All they do is hang out in their social club. Very few people, very few people can find a five-star opportunity in the network marketing business model 
in their first entrepreneurial endeavor. Very few. Very few. Very few hit it with their first rodeo. I didn't. Many, most of you, pretty much all of you listening to this podcast probably didn't. If you have, you're blessed. If you have, you're blessed. Unfortunately, you won't realize what you've got your hands on, probably, until it's gone. I hate to say that, but it's just true. If you're a newbie and you found a five-star opportunity, honestly, most newbies don't know the difference between a five-star opportunity and Amway or Shackley or Melaleuca. Name the company that's been around forever where the opportunity's already peaked. They don't know the difference. They don't know the difference between a five-star opportunity and a ground floor opportunity that will never get off the ground. And I got a lot of people that I work with and talk to on a weekly, daily basis. They're involved in this brand new program that has no chance in the world of ever becoming a billion dollar opportunity. None. But they think, oh, because I love this product and I relate to this product and therefore there's a market for this product. There is not a market for this product. Your product does not appeal to the masses. And I had to learn that the hard way when we made, made an emergency move to euphoria. I mean, I love the product, still take the product, will always take the product. I think taking the supplement based upon my own personal DNA makes a lot more sense than buying a product off the shelf. I love it. Yes, it's more expensive, but I think it's worth it. But you know what? The masses don't. The masses don't. So it doesn't matter what Dale thinks. If the masses don't get it, then there is no opportunity there for Joe. There's no opportunity there for Joe if Joe has to go out and try to learn how to sell what he's doing. Joe needs a product that he can take to a curious marketplace that already has an interest in what he's doing. And and most people, they listen to what I just said. They don't get that. They, oh, Dale, but I love it. You ain't the issue. You ain't the issue, daggone it. Wake up. It's not about you. It's about the psychological acceptance within the marketplace. So, again, if you don't understand what a five-star opportunity is, I'm going to leave that video, the link. Go listen to that because you need to understand you really do. And we have so many newbies that find this this podcast and they kind of glaze over this stuff. And guys, I can save you years of frustration, years of time, energy, and effort and wasted money. I can. But Dale, I just love it. You are not the issue. So if you happen to be listening to this and you're part of my personal iHub, iHub team, and it's your first rodeo. Thank your lucky stars and go to work. And if you're part of my uh, I Have Global team and this is your third or fifth or tenth company, you can still thank your lucky stars. Because if you can wrap your mind around what I've been trying to communicate, your upside potential is beyond what most people can really dream about. So you got to start learning how to dream bigger because you and I both know the five stars have lined up. So myself, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. Personally, I'm doing my best to evolve myself from a mature entrepreneur that's trying to save the world 
to a jet fuel entrepreneur. The stuff is in me to do that. If I had joined Shackley in the mid-70s, which obviously the timing was way off because of my age, but if I had, I would have been a national marketing director there, and I would have spent the rest of my life with that company, I have no doubt. Uh, so I know the stuff is in me. The stuff is in you. I believe it is in everybody to get your mind right and, and make sure you're, the stars have lined up with your opportunity once you are aware that this state of mind exists. And many people are not really aware that this jet fuel state of mind exists. When I started my entrepreneurship, journey back in 1980. Again, I was a 20-year-old snot-nosed kid, and I was quickly on my way to becoming a jet fuel entrepreneur. And anybody would be, if they spent eight hours a day on an assembly line with a Walkman listening to Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, and many other legendary personal development speakers, I mean, I would charge out of IBM every day and couldn't wait to sit around that negative person's kitchen table with my flip book. I mean, I was enrolling people two and three times my age. I, w- I was 20 years old. I was rolling people that are 35, 40, 60, 70, and some of them had initials behind their name. <laughs> Literally, doctors, attorneys. I was enrolling them when I was a snot-nosed 20-year-old kid. Why? Because they they got passive income. Man, that makes sense. Just like my mentor had gotten after looking in a microscope day after day, year after year. If you really get passive income, it doesn't leave your bloodstream. You all know that. So... I was doing five a month, minimum of sponsoring five new people a month, every single month. At 23, I'd quit my job, and I did quit too soon. But, uh, you know, I was on my second Shackley bonus car. I'd traveled outside Kentucky for the first time, (laughs) someplace other than Florida that we went as kids on our family vacation when I was a child. But I had traveled outside of Kentucky for the first time in my life. The first time I ever was on the airplane, I was 20 years old, and I was flying to San Francisco, California for the new supervisor's convention where I was a top five award winner with that company. That was my first time on an airplane. Uh, I, I wanted, you know, was able to travel to the Bahamas. We had a growing group of in Kentucky and about 17 states throughout the United States. I was doing events and meetings for my team in Indiana and Ohio and some other surrounding states. Uh, and it was really because of our unified duplicatable systems. And I've talked to you guys about that if you listen to my this session and how that came to me at 6 o'clock in the morning on the assembly line at IBM. But things were rolling. At 23, man, I was on my way. I was the youngest sales coordinator and Altus Bird winner in that company's history. And Altus Bird winner just meant the growth of new supervisors on your team was in the top 1% in the entire company. Um, and I, I was on my way to becoming the youngest national marketing director in the history of that company. 
that 35-year-old company at the time. Then in October of that year, my world and my business just turned upside down. I lost three key people in the same month, three of my supervisors. Uh, I've told this story multiple times, but I had a clinical psychologist couple in Kentucky that worked for the state that got transferred. So in that business at the time, all your distributors and all your customers picked up products. You had like a little mini warehouse in your home, and that that's what supervisors or direct distributors is what they were called in Amway. They it was all picked up from the direct distributor. This was before UPS guys, trucks, big semis brought products to my house. Uh, so when you're, when you're moved and all of a sudden your customers, uh, can't come and get their products and your distributors can't come and pick up products or their distributors, it kind of disrupts the whole process. So again, this was before UPS and PCs and all that. So the one couple got transferred, Stephen Ann Middleton, another lady who was a former teacher who was full-time with us and doing phenomenal. Her husband worked at IBM, and they got transferred from he got transferred from Lexington to a IBM plant in Texas. And uh, another young couple who was really struggling, but they were full-time, but they were barely rubbing two nickels together. Uh, but they were making it, but it was tough. They went full-time too soon as well, even though I tried to convince them not to. Uh, but he got mad at his boss and quit. But that young couple, uh, their family was concerned about them. They were originally from North Carolina. They had an uncle who was a multimillionaire, and he ended up starting this huge arcade on the beach in North Carolina, and he paid them an enormous enormous amount of money to come and operate the arcade on the beach and honestly he just made them an offer that they could not refuse and I don't blame them for leaving but for me it just was what it was I lost three key people in the same month in October of that year and after that happened within six months I had sold my Shackley business to another local distributor. I had gone to school, got my insurance license, and I was on the road all over the state of Kentucky selling health insurance to self-employed people so I could feed my family and keep a roof over my head. And I told myself I would never think about Shackley or being involved in any MLM program the rest of my life. And most of you that listen to this podcast know the whole story, so I'm not going to get into it. Uh, you know, it's at mlmsuccess.com. You can see the video, the whole story, and the story ain't over yet, guys. <laughs> but the point is, I know what it's like to be building a business with 100% focus and dedication, be on the fast track, and all the fuel you need to to attack every day. And I know I also understand specifically what created that mindset in me. So. When I traveled around the state of Kentucky in the insurance business and I would, you know, go to Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky and I'd spend two or three nights and I'd be doing appointments all day long that I had scheduled uh, up until the night and I stayed. I didn't drive back and forth. 
And when I traveled the state of Kentucky and I would run up on Amway events and hotels or late night meetings at Denny's, I was always fascinated with all the bulletproof dreamers who I knew had no chance of fulfilling those dreams. But I also deeply understood how they got there. So after my first year in the insurance business, when I was rookie of the year in the Great Lakes area and they wanted me to take over a district in, in the state of Kentucky and runs Kentucky, because I knew the secret, I knew the secret, I immediately implemented it uh, with my insurance reps that I recruited. And I loved that because I could hire them and I could fire them. So it was really good. Uh, my first year in the insurance business, uh, as a, as a manager, I implemented what I just call the magic formula into the development of my agents. We put together a very unified, systematic presentation. They had it on audio. They could listen to it over and over, repetitions of other learning. Here's your flip chart. Here's what you do. Here's what you say. Here's the audio. Memorize it. And next week, you're going to do it for me. And then the next week, I'm going to ride with you, and I'm going to watch you do it in, with a client. And I, you know, repetitions of other learning. They learned how to do it through watch repetition over and over. And anyway, Kentucky went from the 50th state in the United States for production to the, my first year as the manager of the state. We were number three in the United States behind New York and California. Kentucky went from 50 to number three. And it was because of the magic formula and the duplicatable unified systems. So when I eventually got involved in NSA in 1990, we joined after the major growth of that company. I missed it. I missed the major growth. I joined in 90. The big growth there was 86, 87, 88. And at that point in my career, I still didn't understand the five stars. But I did know that I was in front of the bottled water trend. And I was in front of a trend, and I knew that. And really, you can make up with the right trend what you may lack in being an ignorance-on-fire newbie, because I was no longer an ignorance-on-fire newbie at that point. But we were in front of a trend. I didn't realize the company had peaked. But... You know, we brought the unified system to our NSA team and also the mindset secret, and we exploded. Uh, I made $10,000 my first month with that company. I never made less. Uh, we exploded. And the only reason I left was because at this time I was starting to understand that if I'd gotten involved in 86, 87, 88, I'd be a multimillionaire now because there was a lot of people that were that, that I knew that I knew more about building unified duplicatable teams than they ever would. So what was the difference? It was timing. And I started to wrap my mind around this concept deeply. So when someone hired me to put together the training system like we had in, in, for our NII team with a new company he was starting. And he was bringing the first chromium picolinate, a Fedra-based product, to the market. And I took the product and lost 10 pounds. 
in about 30 days. And I'm thinking, and people were saying, Dale, what are you doing? You're looking better. What's wrong? And it started giving me a complex because it's like, dang, I didn't know I was looking so bad. And long story short, I ended up joining that company. In the beginning, we implemented our system. And everybody that knew me, all my relatives and friends and parents and everybody said, you're crazy. Why would you start all over? You're making twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand a month. If you don't leave the house, why would you start all over? And I said, because I have the opportunity to create a million dollar income here. I can become a millionaire with this. And if, and if it doesn't work out, I have the skill sets and I have the mindsets and I'll find something else. I'm not worried about loss. And I started to understand right then at that time that real piv- real leaders pivot. Most network marketers don't. So we got started. And when, when we started NII, NII, we had the system from day one. And you've heard people talk about the yellow manual, people that work with us in that company. They talk about the yellow manual a lot. That was the system. And we also incorporated the the magic mindset principle that creates bulletproof dreamers. And the result, that opportunity changed the life of thousands of people. Uh, Everybody made money in that company because we had a real retail wholesale business model. They were buying the product for $19 a bottle, selling it for $29 a bottle. And because everybody could take the product to the marketplace that was in big demand and make retail profits, uh, everybody was making money. Everybody was fired up. Everybody was excited. And we created over 200, five, six, and seven-figure earners on our personal team. When I left that company, it was like going through 25 divorces at the same time. Uh, It was Unbelievable, the drama that went on there. And after that, it's like, look, I made over $10 million the last five years. Uh, I am definitely moving into a coast mode. And, uh, you know, I had made some really good investments. And I was just really kind of tired of dealing with people. And I love people. But they absolutely drain my energy at an unhealthy level. It's not normal. Uh, I am sincerely an introvert. I would rather be my, by myself or with Dawn and a few family members than a group of entrepreneurs any day of the week. It, it's just draining for me. It's really difficult. And after 15 years of coasting and being involved in multiple business and investments and network marketing, consulting and speaking, you know, was always my bread and butter. You know, I had zero debt. Uh, I had cash flow, flowing investments, and was doing up to two speaking gigs a year or a month. And I could earn more in in training product sales in a weekend than most people make in a year. And I was just, you know, just... Coasting. But it was very depressing to see how far away from the core fundamentals the industry had really gotten. So if we fast forward to 2015, 
the same reason I started this podcast at the time was I felt that there's maybe one straw left. You know, again, I was in a trying to save the industry mode and I, and, 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 and that's my nature and it always will be there, but I am really got to get rid of a lot of those mentalities. Uh, but I knew that the magic had to be brought back to the profession, the wisdom of the ages, things people needed to understand that systems are duplicatable and their social media followers aren't. And I understood the thing that created bulletproof big dreamers in Amway and New Image. And I'm just curious at this point in this session, does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? What creates bulletproof big dreamers? This is kind of a hard concept for those who have never experienced it to really wrap their minds around. And I realize many of you have never experienced what I'm even trying to communicate. See, I, I know that this podcast attracts those that can think for themselves. This podcast attracts free thinkers and analytical thinkers and those that will tend to look behind the curtain, but with a overall positive paradigm because I absolutely repel the naive rah-rah-rah social club crowd. So I'm going to tell you what this magic formula is, and some of you are not going to like the way it sounds. I'm telling you right up front right now, I'm getting ready to share it with you here in just a second, and you're not going to like the way it sounds, but it is truth. If you're not a naive newbie, the only possible way to advance from a mature entrepreneur to a jet fuel entrepreneur is to do what? What would you say? What are you thinking? See, the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, Dexter Yeager had it right. The facts don't count. Only your big dream does. The facts don't count. Only your big dream does. No, no organization in the history of entrepreneurship has had a better, has been better at helping people dream than Amway Corporation. And it really is a simple fact that the genius is the ability to help people learn to dream big because that's when the magic happens. Just like what it happens for the naive first-timer, first rodeo entrepreneur who don't know it can't be done. That's when the magic really happens. But as I said earlier, what if the philosophy and culture, this, this big dream culture could be created around an opportunity with a huge upside potential where the five stars have lined up, then what could you do? What could you accomplish? And this really is the rub because the challenge is is the people that understand and look for the stars and behind the curtain are mature entrepreneurs, not naive newbies. And you only get to be a naive newbie once. So this is the first time I have 
I've said what I'm getting ready to say, and I've beat around the bush on this topic for years. And the only way for mature entrepreneurs to fulfill their true upside potential in network marketing or any other business for that matter is you have to get with an opportunity where the five stars have lined up. And here it comes. Here it comes. So if the five stars have lined up, then, then those five stars are based upon truth and wisdom of the ages, principles, and history. So it's your, the five stars are truth. It's just truth. And if, if you're putting your faith in truth, then it's okay. If you're putting yourself in something that's not truth, then it's not okay. So here it comes. How do you, how do you become a jet fuel entrepreneur? You have to get with an opportunity where the five stars, which are based upon truth, have lined up. And here it comes. You have to figure out how to brainwash yourself with your big dream. That's it. To convince yourself that your perfect day is on its way. To not allow under any circumstances cancel, cancel out every negative thought and make yourself bulletproof mentally. Learn how to brainwash yourself. That's it. This is Dale Calvert. Thanks for listening. You got a lot to think about. How do you brainwash yourself? How's the, what gets you going? Is it music? Is it podcast? Is it audio? What is it? How do you brainwash yourself? As I said earlier, eight hours a day, listen to Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown. When I got out of IBM every day, I couldn't wait to get around that negative thumb suckers, num, negative thumb suckers kitchen table with my pitch book because he didn't know he had no idea what was getting ready to hit him how do you brainwash yourself to have that kind of energy that kind of focus that kind of determination that kind of assurance that your perfect day's coming figure that out think about it this week i'll probably have to mention a little bit more about this next week but guys i've given you the secret i've given it to you look at jesse eckle Look at all the examples I've given you. Look at every one of them. It's the same pattern over and over and over. The difference is most of them are first-time, naive, newbie entrepreneurs. Barbara Corcoran, Damon John, and all the other examples I've given you. Most of us listen to this podcast. Most of you aren't. I'm not. How is Dale Calvert going to go from a mature entrepreneur to a brainwashed full force mission 
to $10 million in the next five years in the crypto market. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm, some of you know that listen to me consistently and to communicate with me and those on our team, you, you probably know something's happening with Dale. You're darn right. This is it. I've given it to you. I can't do it for you. But you should figure out how to brainwash yourself. Talk to you next week. If you haven't gone over to iTunes yet and rated and left this podcast a review, what are you waiting for? At Calvert Marketing Group, we want to spend our time on the projects that we know are providing the most value for our clients and customers. You leaving us a review and feedback on iTunes is something that helps us more than you realize. And more importantly, it helps others like you find us. So if you've not taken the time to rate this podcast, please go over to iTunes and do that for us now. It will only take a couple of minutes out of your busy schedule. Work harder on yourself than you do on your business, and we will be back next week with another inspiring success story, wisdom of the ages training, or answers to your questions.